scripture reading this morning is from Proverbs 31, verses 1 through 10. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. An excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. Amen. Thank you, Rick. So this morning, we are going to talk about motherhood. Surprise, surprise. Um, when I was a kid, one of the, I think, worst things you could do to somebody was, I'm talking like junior high, Bible, Arkansas, you know, seventh grade or something. But the worst thing you could do to another uh, boy was to talk about his mama. I mean, that was, it's one thing to talk, to, to, to diss the dude himself. You diss his mom, that's the best way to pick a fight. Um, I can't tell you how many times I heard on the playground and in recess and down the halls, are you talking about my mama? You know, that, that was just the worst. And, and today is the day that, in our nation at least, I, I don't know how many other nations do this, but in our nation, on our, on our calendar and your phone, you're going to see it's Mother's Day. This is a day when we've decided somewhere back in the past to, um, to hold up our mothers for, for appreciation and, and veneration. It's a time to step back and kind of take stock of uh, our own mothers, uh, the mothers of our children, um, you know, any, anybody, the mothers in our society and mothers in our church. Um, we, there's a lot of mothers out there and, and they're I'm fighting the good fight. And they deserve more than just a day, but we, we, we acknowledge, at least on this day, how, how heavily all of us depend upon the mothers in our lives, and they are, they are numerous. And I realize that not everybody's had a great experience with his or her mother, right? Um, some of us have had wonderful experiences, some of us have had, you know, uh, painful experiences, some of us have had sort of, uh, you know, plus or minus experiences. Um, but I think most of us would appreciate the import of motherhood, how, how, whatever your experience personally might be. We understand the weight and the, the significance of motherhood. And so does this, uh, what is arguably the greatest collection of wisdom writings in the Bible, um, the book of Proverbs. That's what it is, a collection of various sayings and writings about wisdom. 
uh, many of which are written by King Solomon, a king in ancient Israel. Others are written by other individuals like King Lemuel that Rick just read from uh, in Proverbs 31, 1 through 9. But, and it's the 31st chapter of Proverbs. You know, Proverbs is a book that is basically about, uh, it's a kind of portrait of, of the life lived according to godly wisdom. And so it has a lot to say about this is how the life of wisdom, of godliness, looks. This is what it does. This is how it thinks. This is what it values. And it has a lot of warnings, too, and admonitions. This is what it doesn't look like. That's the life of folly, which in the book of Proverbs is the opposite, foolishness. All right? And it's interesting that the 31st and final chapter, the concluding chapter, the very last thing a reader or hearer of Proverbs would have heard is a chapter that deals largely with women. It kind of foregrounds women. Um, And it says a good deal about motherhood. So the first nine verses of Proverbs, which I have on the screen here, we won't read it again right now, Rick just read this, is the teaching or the oracle, uh, a a better word probably is the reproof. It it actually uses the Hebrew word for where it says uh, an oracle that his mother taught him. Uh, Robert Alter's translation of Proverbs. Um, Some of you are using Robert Alter's uh, translation of Genesis for our our adult Bible class that we've been going through. Well, his adult uh, translation, I'm sorry, his his translation of Proverbs uh, actually translates this, um, words with which his mother reproved him. So the taught there is a bit mild. It's kind of the idea of an admonition or a reproof. And that's what we have here. The words of King Lemuel, we don't know who he was, not an Israelite king, um, but this is, he's recording for us to read, for posterity to read, what his mother taught him. And then starting in verse 10, we have the famous poem about the worthy woman, or as the uh, English Standard Version puts it, the excellent wife. And I'll remind you that, um, if, if you are not familiar with this, if you are, that woman and wife in Hebrew, uh, it's like Greek in New Testament Greek, same word, depends on context, so it's hard to tell here, it kind of talks about both, honestly. Is he just saying, this is what a worthy woman looks like? Uh, or is this a, what a worthy wife looks like? Um, it, yeah, I think you could make the case that it's both, not, not necessarily either or in this case. But anyway, so the whole chapter you know, starts with an oracle from somebody's mom that he now thinks as a king of whatever realm he's over is worthy of repetition for perpetuity. And then it's followed by an acrostic poem, a poem that each line of which starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and you can't see that here, but in, in, in succession, all about this really exemplary woman or wife. Very interesting that this book of wisdom concludes with a chapter on women. That suggests to us that the role of women, mothers, as we're going to talk about today, in all of our lives is very significant. It's very significant in conveying wisdom down the road to other generations. So um, that's what we're going to ask this morning. We're going to, we're going to look at this idea of what does, what, does God, what does motherhood look like in connection with the wisdom of God. Motherhood in God's scheme for wisdom. And so we want to take Proverbs 31, especially verses 1 through 9, the, the King Lemuel oracle. But we'll also d- drop into the, the worthy woman a poem and, and make some insights as well. That's what I want to do for a few minutes this morning. What, uh, from the perspective of Proverbs 31, can we learn about motherhood? And the first thing, it's, it's fairly obvious, but I, want, I believe it bears notice this morning, is just the sheer value 
of, of mothers, the, the, the import, um, the significance. And in short, mothers are absolutely invaluable. There, there's, you could name a price, you could name a value, you could name um, a, a level of worth, and you will not be able to reach it. Mothers are inestimably valuable. They're pillars of society, right? Uh, men are too, but, but wives, mothers, are pillars of society. When you consider how patriarchal the ancient world was, I mean, women in the ancient world are, are generally chattel. That, that, that's legally how they're treated, socially, culturally, um, in, in many ways, ju just property, uh, pretty much. And so talk about, people talk about patriarchy today. Um, it doesn't hold a candle to the patriarchy of the ancient world when this isn't even questioned generally. And one of the main areas where, where it is questioned is in Scripture. Um, it, the Bible does a lot of things with women that were, were kind of countercultural for the day, and I'm talking the Old Testament and the New Testament do this. But when you consider this patriarchal backdrop in the ancient world, and how lowly women are regarded and treated, it's noteworthy that Proverbs concludes with a chapter on women. Here is God saying, here's what my wisdom looks like, and the concluding chapter is largely about the impact of wives, mothers, women on, on the people around them, on the society around them. Robert Alter's translation has, has notes like the Genesis translation some of us have been using, and this is one of the things he says about that. It is noteworthy that the editors of, of Proverbs, whoever redacted and compiled all these pieces of wisdom, uh, Solomon's and other people's, chose to conclude the book in which instruction by male mentors to young men predominates. That's what the book is largely about, or talks about. But it concludes with the portrait of the ideal wife or woman. Don't you think that's interesting? And as I said, the first nine verses of Proverbs are an oracle from King Lemuel's mother. The next 21 verses of Proverbs 31 profile a worthy woman or wife whose value is demonstrated, in part at least, by the mother she is. Why is she worthy? Why is she excellent? In part it is because of, of, of the role she's played as a mother. So just a couple of examples. Says, one of them, Proverbs 31, 15, says... This woman, this worthy woman, her excellent wife, rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. So she's, she's got this uh, domestic um, uh, potency, you know, about her. She's really productive and uh, does, a, a, you know, a, an excellent job. Her household is taken care of. She's up early. Um, verse 21, she's not afraid of the snow for her household because her household are clothed in scarlet. They're not just clothed and protected from the elements. They're clothed in, clothed in things that show she cares about them deeply. They're clothed in scarlet. She's putting them in the best that she can put them in. Um, now, I, I want to, to be clear here. We shouldn't just reduce womanhood to motherhood. Uh, and, and this chapter won't let us do that. If you're inclined to think, well, a woman is just a mother, that's pretty much what a woman is. Um, this chapter gives you a, a lot of data that would push the other direction. Uh, in addition to the places where it talks about her being a, a wonderful wife, and that's part of her worthiness, as we just looked at, it also says things like this, Proverbs 31, 16, uh, this woman considers a field and buys it. With a fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. So this woman is, not to put any pressure on any women here, 
just like the best of the best of everything, right? If you had women playing cards, like baseball cards, you'd want this one. Her, her stats are through the roof, right? She bats like 444, uh, runners in scoring position especially. Um, she's also a pitcher and has an ERA of like you know, one or something. Um, she just does it all. I don't know why baseball came into my head right now. I'm not even a huge baseball fan, but we went to a baseball game yesterday morning. I do love my own grandson's baseball. Um, anyway, um, so motherhood is, uh, you know, one thing we got to keep in mind is it, it, this is a role God gave only to women. And so it's absolutely crucial in God's view. In fact, one of the things, the very first thing God says about and to humanity in the creation account in Genesis 1 is this. God's image bearers are bifurcated into two genders, male and female, right? God created man in his image. That's the Hebrew word that just means humanity. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female created them. They're these complementary, diverse, but equally important expressions of the divine image. God's image is born out in males and females. That's his choice. And look what it says. This is this sort of creation mandate, as we called it, in Genesis 1.28. First word said to human beings in the Bible. Kind of paradigmatic. They sort of lay out what this is all, the whole relationship of humans with God in the earth uh, until the new creation is going to be about. And there, really, it'll continue. Uh, God blessed him, and God said, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Men, men and women being fruitful and multiplying. So this is God, a God-given role, motherhood, just as manhood is. And in an upcoming class in this, in the, in this church, we're going to have the church divided into men and women and talk about, with the men, what biblical masculinity is, and, and with the women, what... what uh, Biblical womanhood is. Is that pretty much accurate, the way I'm describing it? So that's upcoming. At any rate, this morning we want to focus on mothers and appreciate that God created motherhood with this kind of significance. Think of how impactful moms are in shaping the human beings under their guidance. So here is Lemuel, whoever he was. He's a king. He's going to be making all sorts of decisions, right? He's got a, a national budget of some sort. He's got a military at his behest. He's got crops and just, justice and all these things that the leaders have to worry about no matter where and when the, they preside over their respective peoples and nations. And this king, with all of his authority over a nation of people, has been influenced, shaped, sort of created, made into the man he is and the king he is by the woman who raised the little boy. Isn't it great that King Lemuel says, you know what, my mom told me some stuff. I want to tell y'all. Who told you that, King Lemuel? Mommy. But he doesn't care. It's an oracle from his mother that has proved valuable, and now we're reading it still today. We don't even know who and where he lived and who he was and where he lived. Um, at least in the ESV's version. There's another thing we could talk about with this place called Masa, but we don't, I don't that doesn't tell us a lot more either, really. Anyway, um, he's influenced by his mother, and that's, that's kind of uh, illustrative of this point I'm making. So I, wanted to, I do want to issue a couple of caveats here, just so that you understand that I understand this. Biblically speaking, of course, each individual is culpable 
for his or her own relationship with God. So you're influenced by your parents, but I don't believe the Bible teaches you that you're deterministically influenced so that you, know, you, you can play the card when you're 25, 30 years old. Well, I was reared this way, so that, that's, it's not on me. It's on my mom and dad. It's on you, biblically. Did they influence you? Certainly. Should the powerful influence for good or bad that a mom or a dad has on, a, on his or, uh, or her kids really cause us to take notice and be careful with the process of rearing our children? Certainly, because it does have a huge impact. And still God holds each of us accountable in our relationship to Him on our own as individuals. Everything influences us. Our society influences us. Our culture influences us. You know, we think all kinds of things because our culture's given them to us. We don't ever think that. We think everybody else does. Every one of us is embedded in social, cultural, historical um, sort of worldviews. We just take things as normal, and, and they're probably not all, they're not all absolute. Sometimes we, we, all kinds of things influence us. We're still accountable. God still calls us to stand before Him um, as individuals. The other caveat behind, behind, uh, beyond uh, individual culpability is the, the important point that maybe we'll talk about on Father's Day, maybe, that fathers play a huge role in rearing children, too. They're spiritually the leaders of the household, uh, the Bible teaches us. Okay, So I, I wanted to get that out of the way, but today we're, we're talking about mothers. And the fact is, with those caveats before us, mothers generally spend more waking hours with the children than the dad does. This is definitely the case throughout history. And I would argue, it's, I don't know this for sure, it doesn't matter, but I would bet that's still the case even in the modern West. There, there, there are a lot more women spending more hours of the day with kids than, than men typically. There, there are exceptions, but that's probably typically the case. So this is not a, an unfit metaphor. You know what you don't see very often, maybe ever, unless something's wrong with the male duck? You don't, this is a mallard family. Remember the, the male has a green head? They're called drakes in duck hunting world. And the, the female, the mothers are called Susies. I grew up in the Mississippi Flyway, so I had all this stuff memorized. Go duck hunting, duck hunting place. The male mates with the mother. I think he hangs out for about three or four months from fall to spring, and he hits the road. The mother has the babies behind her for however many weeks. I'm not saying every human family is like that. The man doesn't hit the road, in a, in a, hopefully. He's got a responsibility to lead the family. But if he's off working somewhere and the mother's staying home with the little ones till they're in preschool or even beyond, very often, can I safely say that? Very, very often, the mom is around the kids more in a lot of families. And we'll talk more about the fatherly ab abdication of, of his role, that problem, which is legion in America, even among Christians, Maybe when we get to our Father's Day lesson, Lord willing. But I want to, first of all, just talk about this fact that mothers often spend more of the time with the kids. When I was a kid and, and growing up in, in Northeast Arkansas, there was a point system for duck hunting. I may be getting this wrong because it's been a long time ago. I haven't picked up a shotgun in, since then, pretty much. Um, but I did that you know, stuff, kind of stuff a little bit. I had a lot of friends with Labrador retrievers and you know, duck blinds and the whole, it's just big duck hunting country. And, there was this point system to how many ducks you could shoot uh, on a given day or something like that. And if I remember right, I might be getting this wrong, the, the, the drake, the greenhead, was a whole lot more points than the Susie, the mom. And there's probably some wildlife biology reason for that. 
I don't know why. Or maybe it's because people want them more because they're prettier on the wall. I don't know. At any rate, it's a little bit messed up. Because if you get rid of Susie, you don't have the little babies behind there. She's the one they're imprinting on, not the dad. He's gone. Right? And I, I don't want to make too much out of this, but I think that's in some ways a kind of metaphor for how crucial the impact of mothers is not only on our own children, but by virtue of that, society. King Lemuel is ruling over a bunch of people, and yet he is what he is, from all we can tell from what his mother told him. That's a very important thing to, uh, to notice. Somebody raises sociopaths. Somebody raises saints. Someone rears humans who are selfish. Somebody rears those humans who are selfless. Somebody is raising people who are shallow. Somebody's raising people who are people of substance. I mean, people aren't just raising themselves. And there's a reason the Bible spends so much text talking about the influence of parents, mothers particular, in, in the case for what we're talking about today, uh, in Scripture. So, I want to talk about something else. A mother's legacy. A mother's legacy. In short, the legacy, the heirloom that the mother is to pass on to her children is that she is to be and to build a person of spiritual substance. Be a person of spiritual substance so that you can build this young person that you're rearing into a person of spiritual substance. Look at chapter 31, verse 3. This is one of the things Lemuel's mother had said to him. Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. I want you to notice the word strength here. It, it, you, you might think from this rendering and a lot of the English renderings that what he's talking about is sexuality here. Be careful. Don't give your strength, your vigor, some versions say, to, to women. Be careful with that, Lemuel. And I think sexual impulsiveness is certainly, it would fall under the purview of this, this admonition. But the word for strength in the Hebrew, the original word, has a lot broader mean, meaning than just sexual things. Um, it's the word hail. Uh, is that right? Am I saying it? I don't know where Matt is. Hail, something like that. I asked him before, but it just won't go in my head. It's too Hebrew. Here, here, here's kind of the range of meaning here. Vigor, strength. So you can see why that, that's a, a, a fine translation. But it has the idea of, it's, it's not just you, you can bench press a lot of weight or something like that. It's your personal worth. It's kind of substantiveness. You know, you're, you're, you have substance. Don't give your substance or your your worth, your depth, your strength, your vigor. Don't just throw it away on women or to other kings who destroy things. So basically, King Lemuel's mom had taught him, you know, as king, don't throw away your, your substance on women. You're worth more than that. For some triviality, for, you know, some, some uh, romantic tryst or something like that. Don't be shallow. There's more to you than that. You're more substantive than that. That's the basic idea here of this word strength is, is substance. And interestingly, the same word is used of the worthy woman in the beginning verse of that poem. An excellent wife, that's the same exact word. 
That's why it's translated by many versions, a worthy wife or woman, a woman of worth, of substance. She's far more valuable than jewels. Why? Because look what she's, look what she's made of. There's a lot of spiritual fiber here. There's something to her. She's not a shallow, flighty person. She's got spiritual gravitas and depth and substance. And so that's the basic idea that we're shooting for here. So a mother's legacy is to have that herself and then to pass that on. Right? So uh, the point, King, King Lemuel's sense of depth, his sense of worth, being a man of spiritual substance um, and rather than spiritual shallowness, that may have come from a woman. And we don't know whether the woman in the Proverbs 31 poem is the same woman who is his mother. That's possible. It's also possible it's just two things on women that are very important. Right? And the, the redactor or editor, whoever put Proverbs together finally thought these, these would go together here. We don't know. But a woman like this must have, maybe this very woman in Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, the worthy woman, maybe she could give this sense of spiritual depth and substance to her son because she herself had that already. And from God's perspective, um, these are some other ways this could be translated. I forgot I had this on here. A worthy wife or woman, a substantive wife or woman, you know, who can find? A wife or woman of substance, who can find? They're rare. Their price is really high because they're so, they're so inherently valuable. And he's saying this king, this boy who is now a man, needs to guard that substance and remember who he is. A person of some spiritual depth. Now, Needless to say, folks, this, uh, this logically assumes, right, that she has this spiritual depth. You can't bequeath something to somebody if you don't have it yourself. I can't give you an heirloom if I, haven't got, if I don't have it. Right? Daddy, why don't you give me uh, an heirloom of, you know, a really fancy shotgun or a whole dinette set? Well, I don't own those things. I guess we own a, a few dinette sets, but... Is that dishes or is that the table and chairs? We don't, okay, we don't have a few of those. One. But anyway, um, you got to have a thing before you can give a thing, right? You can't inherit something from me if I don't have that thing myself. And so this woman has the spiritual depth herself, and that's why she's able to pass it down. Notice that down further in the poem on the worthy woman in verses 28 and 29, we read that her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also they praise her. Many women have done excellently, excellently, also from the same word, three times in this one chapter. Hail. She's shown, you know, many women have shown their worth, their substance spiritually, but you surpass them all. That's the core idea about who she is, her identity, and why she's able to, to convey that to somebody like a child she's rearing. All right? Now, where'd she gotten that from? Where, where did this spiritual fiber, this, this spiritual depth come from? Down in chapter 3130, the next verse, it says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord or reverences the Lord, who respects the Lord, worships the Lord, is to be praised. So here, reverence or respect for the Lord, for Yahweh, for God, is contrasted with an, uh, a focus on, on things like charm and beauty. Those are portrayed here as trivial, lightweight, shallow, fleeting concerns. 
that apparently have captured the attention of many women. Because he says that's, that's what it seems to be a lot of people do, but you're different. You're a woman who reverences the Lord. And that's what's led her to have this, this high yield, this, this worth or excellence in her character, this, this depth and gravitas, spiritually speaking. So how do you get that? Where does this reverence come from? Let me suggest to you that if we're talking about spiritual depth, and God gets to define it because it's reverence for the Lord here, it's all connected. He gets to define it. The number one repository of spiritual depth is in God's own word. It's the epitome of depth, of meaning, of truth. So a psalm like Psalm 119 basically uh, a, a, a psalm that's exulting in the beauties of the Word of God says something like this, uh, verse, verse 35 beginning, Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. I delight in, in your rules and precepts that are in Scripture, Lord. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not selfish gain. You can spend all your days, a, a mother or father can spend most of their time you know, maybe in sophisticated ways so it looks a little socially acceptable to their peers, but in grown-up ways Basically, in selfish gain. More fun, more entertainment, more possessions, more, you know, finer house, finer car, finer clothing, way to impress my friends on the golf course, or whatever it is. That's contrasted with, that's called worthless things in verse 37. Turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Do you see how the word of God here is life-giving? It is full of worth. It, it, and that, that's why it gives the psalmist delight. And so this is the repository, the depot, uh, the supply house of all that creates spiritual depth, spiritual vigor. And passing that down, that, that legacy of spiritual worth is the goal. And, and, and no doubt having it yourself, modeling it, we might say, is going to go a, a great distance toward doing that. Somebody watches two parents completely devoted to the Lord and in love with the Lord and the Word and always going back to it and, and being overt in their, uh, uh, their willingness to, to repent and say, you know what, little junior or juniorette, I, I haven't been what I'm supposed to be. I'm working on it. They need to see that. That's not failure on your part. Weakness is strength. Strength is weakness. Because you're bowing to You're showing reverence for God. And that modeling is going to go a long way uh, toward this end of, of imparting the legacy of spiritual depth in our children. But let me tell you, something more is needed here. If I'm going to effectively pass down, if our mothers are going to effectively pass down this legacy to our children, then something else is needed beyond just being that. And that third thing that we want to talk about is that thing, and that's the mother's training. And I don't mean here the training she receives, but the reproof, the admonition, the training, the discipline, the instruction that she imparts. Okay? So this is sort of where the rubber meets the road in many ways. This is where you prove that you're building a legacy. or Not, not prove, but this is where it's manifest. All right? This is the concrete manifestation of this abstract idea of leaving a legacy. Um, Notice what we read here uh, in Proverbs 31.1. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him, right out of the gate. This is what she says. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? 
Sound like everything's going along swimmingly? No, the, the lead-off idea is, what, what's going on? What are you up to? What, what are you thinking? Have you ever said that to your kids? What are you thinking? You know, um, that's what she's doing. It seems like something's gone off track, and she's saying, what are you, what are you doing? And then there's another interesting phrase here. What are you doing, son of my vows? Last phrase in verse 2. What does that mean? What are you doing, son of my vows, son of my womb, and son of my vows? It, it sounds like possibly she's taken a vow, either before her child's birth, maybe a vow to God, or at the moment of her child's birth, much like Hannah. Do you remember Hannah back in 1 Samuel, the first two or three chapters? She's barren for a while, and she makes a vow to God that if he'll give her a child, she will de devote him to the Lord all of his days. And she, lit she literally takes the child to the temple and says to Eli, here, I want you to rear him as a temple servant and that kind of thing. But she's made some sort of vow, probably to God, that in some way she would dedicate her child to God. And we ought to all be making that vow in a, in a more generic sense, right? A more general sense that God, you know, that we, we, we realize that children are um, a reward from God. Psalm 127, you know, children are a heritage of the Lord. Uh, when God fills up your quiver, He's blessing you, and, and we ought to then uh, turn around and devote the children to God. And that's what a wise mother will do. But it appears that Lemuel's behavior had been in danger of departing from what she vowed to impart um, to him. So some reproof is needed, some admonition, some correction. And as I said a minute ago, the Hebrew word used for, uh, uh, used for teaching or taught in the ESV is actually the word for reproof. It's already, the, the, right out of the gate, reproof is needed. That's what her oracle is. It was an oracle of reproof. Of, of admonition, there's some warning and some correction, some training, you might say, involved. Um, and that's really the basic purpose of, of this uh, oracle, is to impart self-discipline on the boy that she has raised, who's now a grown man and, in fact, a king, Lemuel. And what this self-discipline was to impart, and what our mothers are trying to impart to our children that God has given them is a self-discipline that reflects who the child really is. That spiritual substance that God puts in all of us, and at least in germ form, and wants to be developed and, and grown and matured. The parent is involved in trying to remind the child and develop in the child his own internal sense of determining whether something fits or doesn't fit with the substance that he has been given that his mom has exemplified and is trying to teach him. You don't do this because that's not who you are. You're deeper than that. You have more vigor than that. More strength, more substance, more worth from a God-given God perspective. You don't, that's not who you are. And so that there's a self-discipline. You can't be with him all the time. King Yilmul doesn't have his mom with him all the time, apparently. You know, I don't know. She at least died before he did, probably. Right? So that's not the point. It's that you, you inherit this yourself, or not inherit it, but are, it's inculcated in you by your parents Yourself. And there's a couple of aspects of this that we see here in Proverbs 31, 1 through 9 that I think we all recognize as part of rearing children in life. One of these is negative. One is more positive. In other words, one has to do with what, we're not, what you're not to do if you have self-discipline. And the other is what the mom is telling him you should do, what, what, what you are to do if you have self-discipline. So it's not just be a good boy, don't do bad things. 
right? That's how a lot of religion comes across, actually. That's part of the problem is religion. What's passed for Christianity often, it just fixates on don't, 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 don't. <clears throat> Leave home, you know what you're not to do. And we wonder why kids' hearts and imagination and vision isn't captured. You're not going to pump up an 18 or 20-year-old by telling them, here's 37 things you can't do or you'll, be, you'll burn in hell forever. That's tr you need to talk about the don'ts. Um, we're fixing to. But it's, it's, more, it's, it's, more, it's more full than that. It's, it's, don't do this. Do do this. All right? So, first of all, the negatives. Do not give your strength to women. We talked about this one a minute ago. Your ways to those who destroy kings. This is part of, uh, of imparting self-discipline, developing self-discipline in the man who becomes, the boy who becomes the man. She says to him, it is not for kings, O Lemuel. She applies it to two things, women and wine. Two age-old, you know, pitfalls for men. Um, and especially a king who's got all this power. You know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Do not give your strength to women. And then in verse 4, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Why? Well, it's pretty obvious. You're up there trying to preside and make judgments. You might drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted, the people who need you, who need your voice, who need your power brought to bear for their justice. You might, you know, you're, you're laying over here on a bender and like, uh, you know, one part of your nation has attacked the other and taken their property or whatever. You've got to be sober and alert so you can do your job. And then he says this, so strong drink isn't for you. Give strong drink to the one who's perishing and wine to those who are in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. He says, you're not in that position. In your position, you need to watch out and have some discipline here or you'll, you'll abdicate your role. And you better have that inside you. You won't have your parents forever you know, saying, here are the rules. That's got to be internalized. And also the point about women up in, in verse 3. How many times in Proverbs have, has the young man been warned and admonished about the dangers of illicit um, you know, interactions with, uh, with women who are not the right kind of women? Several times in Proverbs. It's classic. He says, you're like an ox. Don't be like the ox who's just dumb and ridiculous and just following down this path to the slaughterhouse and doesn't even know it till it's too late. That's what women, illicit uh, romantic relationships, you know, it, it's the Achille, one of the Achilles heel. We have many men, right? Amen? We got a lot of Achilles heels. I've got like two legs, but somehow I got like 37 Achilles heels. Um, we all do. And, and, and Proverbs is very frank and candid about those. And so here we have at the end of the book, the mom saying to the son, watch out. For these things it's, it's negative in a sense she's correcting this is not easy to talk about who likes telling people no if you just get off telling people no you might want to go see somebody you know that's not it's not it's not necessarily in the short run a fun thing to do. it's just necessary because you love the person and it's truth we're talking about truth here and like their long-term spiritual substance but there's also some positive aspects to imparting and developing self-discipline Open your mouth, verse 8 says, for the mute. You're a king. God has put you in this position. I want you to be the one who speaks for the voiceless. The people who don't have the, the ability. They're not in a position. Maybe they don't have the temperament 
to step up, and they're not in a position to stand up and defend themselves. He says, you speak for them. Speak for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. I don't know if you remember uh, Matt's class on Isaiah. He talked about, was it Sadek and Mishpat? Over and over and over, these, these two expressions have to do with righteousness and justice. And one of them is here. Uh, the word righteously is some form of the word tzedek, um, I, I think, if I remember from my study right. Anyway, it's, it's the idea that's all over the Bible. That she says, young King Lemuel, or boy who becomes King Lemuel, at some point she has told him that what God has expected of all leaders throughout all the Bible, defend the rights of the needy the voiceless, the downtrodden, the marginalized. One of the main reasons Israel goes into captivity is because of injustice. It's one of the most often things mentioned in the minor and major prophets, injustice and immorality, and they usually were tied to idolatry. You get the wrong God, justice falls apart, and morality falls apart. The three eyes. And then, this is also something that the woman herself or a woman, the worthy woman at least, whether it's Lemuel's mom or somebody else, has exemplified. A worthy woman does all these things. One of them is this. The worthy woman opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hand to the needy. Folks, Christians, God's people, were never told, here's what you do. Here's what righteousness is alone. It's nothing more than don't say cuss words, don't have illicit sex, don't get drunk, and come to church all the time. Is it, are those important? Those are essential, actually. But there's a whole other positive side that's all through the Bible, too. The things we are to do. We're to go out. Right? We're to go out. We're to go into the brokenness. Just like the Word became flesh and came into the brokenness and dwelt among us. That's what we're to do. As the Father has sent me, so, so uh, I send you, Jesus said later in the Gospel of John. How did He send Him? He sent Him into the mess. We're to go into the world of, of sinners and, and connect with them and help them. And one of the things that is broken about our world is there's a lot of poverty and need. There are people who don't have a voice that are being stomped on and trampled over and ignored. They're virtually invisible for whatever reason. And conservative Christians historically in America have been some of the worst. They've also been some of the best at moments in history, especially back in the 19th century. But oftentimes we've been the ones who've been the most willfully blind to see righteousness as just setting inside a bubble while the world goes by. We're supposed to address that. Whether you're a king or not a king, you've got some little corner of the world where you have some sway, some influence. And notice how this mom modeled for her child an open hand to the poor, a hand which is reaching out. That's an active word. She's not, if, if you show up, I'll help you maybe. If they come to our church, maybe we'll talk. If they knock on my door and I'm tired of ignoring people, maybe I'll answer. And, no, she's reaching out. And this is something, by the way, that is all through the Bible expected of all God's people. It just is. Isaiah. He's not talking to kings here. He's talking to everybody. He's talking to the congregation of Israel. And he says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. These are active, go out and do uh, constructions here verbally, aren't they? You seek those things. You correct it. You bring the justice. You plead the widow's case. You're speaking for those who don't have a voice. And so future king or not, when a mother of substance trains up her little child to be a person, a grown person of godly substance, 
Folks, who knows what powerful ripple effects for good, for light, for hope, she may be launching in this dark, broken world. Lemuel was a baby on her, in her bosom at one point, right? And now God in His providence has put him in this position. And look, who's, look whose way he has learned. And she's reminding him, be that person of substance. And she was a person of substance to be able to say that. So today, I hope women here, our wives, I'm sorry, our, our, our mothers, feel honored. That's my intention with this sermon. I appreciate you so much. I have no idea what you go through. I, a little bit of an idea from watching my, my wife. And um, anytime anybody has ever complimented our kids, I just instantly and totally sincerely direct that to my wife. Because I, if I had married a female version of myself, our kids would be a mess. <laughs> right? But they, they, they had a wonderful wife and uh, a wonderful mother, rather. And I, all the mothers in here are laboring. You're... you're you're fighting a good fight, and I want you to feel honored and encouraged and inspired, I hope, by the things we talked about today. All those godly mothers of substance in our, in our lives, from the oldest to the youngest ones to the ones soon to be. We recently found out we have two new soon to be ones. Praise God for that. Thank you for your attention. I said I was going to give a Mother's Day gift of a shorter sermon. It's like four minutes shorter than normal, so I tried. I really did. Cut things like crazy. I know you don't believe me, but it's true. Anyway. Thank you for your attention. Glad you're here today. If we can help you in any way, let us know by coming to the inner circle of chairs while we all together stand and sing.